Welcome to another edition of You and Your Money. I'm Brian Hurst. This evening, we are focusing once again on the investment world. We are now halfway into 2018 and the markets continue on its downward trend. South African-focused companies have been absolutely battered over the past few months as investors abandon emerging markets. In most reports put out by management, they comment on how difficult local conditions are. And if you look at some of the shares, you can note how many of them are down? Blue Label, 31% down. Tiger Brands, 28. Discam, 27. Imperial, 25. Capitec, 21. Discovery, 21. True Earth, 18. And Sunlam, 18. Just to mention a few. If you haven't been heavily overweight and resourced, your portfolio for this period will show substantially lower values. Furthermore, the Rand has plunged against the dollar this year from around about the 12.38 mark to 13.17. Joining me this evening is Henry Biddlecombe, investment analyst at Anchor Capital. Henry, good evening to you. Evening, Thank you. Th thanks very much for joining me. Always a pleasure. Nowhere to hide in this market, Henry. Nowhere I mean, to hide, certainly, uh, you know, and it, it, the question is now, people are asking, is this the end of a 10-year bull market? You know, Brian, it's a, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, I think what we have seen is that South African equity markets have been caught in a very powerful rotation out of emerging markets. You know, over the last three months, emerging markets, I think, have had the worst quarter that they've had since 2014. I think year-to-date, the emerging markets equity index is down by around 8, 8% and um, we no exception. So Henry, so, so let's understand, we've got the RAND weakening, <coughs> we've got people coming out of emerging markets, we've got some um, growth in international markets, yet again, depending on what sectors you're on in international markets. So what are the risks for global markets? I think the biggest risk for global markets right now is the fallout from a potential trade war that we see developing. Um, obviously, when um, equity markets identify risk to, risks to global economic growth, um, you see a risk, uh, a risk of trade um, get put on and ultimately equity markets will sell off in that sort of environment. Um, and in particular, emerging markets. Uh, when there's aversion to risk, uh, emerging markets sell off. And then let's just talk about the RAND. The RAND's weakened, but we have seen outflows both in our bond and equity markets. And is it likely that we're going to continue to see that? And, and then the question everyone's asking is, is this the, the weakness of the RAND? Is it the end of the weakness? Is it likely to strengthen again? We've got 10 months or 12 months of uh, electioneering, uh, not much happening. Although the rating agencies as well seem to have, you know, sort of, quietened down and they're giving us a chance. So, you know, so, you know big selves? So I'll tell you what, I don't think that the weakness in the RAND is um, owed to country-specific factors. I think when you look at our currency in an environment like this globally, we're a bit of a cork in the ocean. Um, and I, I think when um, the concerns around global growth, emerging markets are going to sell off. And we're a highly liquid currency, so we will sell off in sympathy with the rest of emerging markets. Having said that, um, if you look at the performance of some other emerging market currencies, we in fact haven't performed all that badly. So despite the fact that the RAND has weakened, um, we haven't weakened by as much as some of our, our, our other emerging market peers. So, but there has been a big sell-off uh, yes. uh, in, in our bond market and equity market. Yes. Is that money likely to come back? I think it certainly is likely to come back, um, especially when you've seen a sell-off as powerful as this one. Uh, generally, flows tend to turn over time, and when they turn, they turn quite powerfully. So we, we, we might see um, uh, an equally as powerful rally over the next 6 to 12 months. But I think it is also important to point out that um, emerging markets currently are trading at around a 32% discount to the S&P 500, which is historically um, is the norm. So although we've seen a sell-off, emerging markets aren't looking particularly cheap. 
Uh, what I would say, though, is we're starting to identify pockets of opportunity in, this, uh, in the South African equity market. So, Henry, so let's just talk about it. We talk about RAND head stocks. We talk about when the RAND weakness, weakens, that's good for RAND head stocks. And yet we haven't seen that because we've seen the RAND actually go from around about the 11.50, 11.70 mark to 13.70. And we haven't really seen much uptick in those foreign companies that uh, South Africans have bought. Is it because they've bought badly? Is it because that there's no, that the interest isn't there? You know, you always need to remember that a lot of the South African Rand Hedge stocks are defensive in nature. They're consumer staples companies, like your British American tobaccos, um, like your Anheuser Bushes. Uh, and those are stocks that tend to do well when the global economy is uh, contracting. But when we're seeing global economic expansion like we are now, um, people sell those stocks in favor of growth stocks like Facebook, um, Google, Amazon. So I think it's unsurprising that we've seen such underperformance from the tr traditional Rand Hedge stocks on the JSE. But from now, they do, they, they do start to look very cheap. Um, and I find stocks like BTI and Anheuser-Busch to be quite attractive at this point. But that would be why investors have had a poor experience with them over the last two to three years. And that's why you have to diversify. You've Absolutely. got to have that diversification and not just look at what's happening in the last few months, because that can throw you off completely. And that's where fear comes in and people start to do make irrational investment decisions. Yes, I mean, that's what I was saying to you before the show started. You know, it highlights the, imp um, the importance of geographic and sectoral diversification on a global um, scale for South African investors. And often a dollar earned by BTI or by Anheuser-Busch is, uh, is not valued the same way that a dollar made by Facebook or Google is. Well, we're going to take a break. You can call us this evening on 011-483-1518. I, I know we're competing this program tonight with uh, Japan, Belgium, but we'll be back shortly. Stay tuned. Welcome back to New Money this evening discussing investments. My guest, Henry Biddlecombe. If you'd like to call 011-483-1518, you can still email me on brianh at bhca.coza. Uh, so you talked about some, 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 some green shoots. You're starting to see value because we haven't had value in our markets for a long time. And, you know, investors are patient. I talk about the three P's in investing, the three P's in property, as you know. Position, position, position. And in the market, it's patience, patience, patience. But people have been patient for a long time, Henry. Oh, they have been. Um, you know, just a comment on the South African equity market in general. I think um, last year, uh, South Africa had very different prospects to what it does now. And we're seeing a lot of share, at least South African-oriented shares, that are trading at the same price today that they were a year ago. And I don't think you can, you can argue that those companies are, are worth the same today. They're worth more today. Um, so they've come off after a very significant rally in February and March. And we're starting to see valuations make sense again. Um, so I'm incrementally more optimistic on the prospects for the South African equity market at this stage. And to long-term investors, I'm sure the message is start. Sit tight. You've just got to exercise more patience. That's right. And we're going to start looking for hard data points. And those hard data points are going to start coming through in the trading statements of corporate South Africa. We didn't see them come through in the last earnings season, but I do think it's a little early. You know, it's only July. The elections were in December. Um, I would look to the next earnings season, um, perhaps to the middle of next year, for the results to start manifesting. 
Well, let's start taking some email bearing sentences. What are the dangers to global growth with the dollar being so strong? Is the dollar overvalued? Well, I think it's important to point out that a strong dollar is symptomatic of concerns that global economic growth is going to be weak. So I don't think it's surprising that in the context of a potential trade war, we're seeing a, a flight of assets to a safe haven like the American US dollar. I think what we will be watching for is the impact of a strong dollar on US corporate earnings, because of course the big US multinationals earn around 50% of their revenues outside of the USA. So the translation exactly. of that earnings into dollars Precisely. is going to cost the dollar valuations, exactly. purely from a currency point exactly. of view. So those foreign revenues translate with a stronger dollar into a lower level of US dollar profits. So we'll be watching the impact that that has on the American equity markets. Yep. Yeah. Unless there's pickup in, 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 in global growth. I mean, pickup in European, Britain, That's you true. know, in China and India and places like that. That's right. So you can't view it in isolation. Of course, the factors that you've mentioned now would be a positive offset. Uh, Larry Bonet says, have property yields improved whilst the property shares have dropped? Can one rely on the fact that the yields at this level will continue? Because we have seen a big drop in the last 12 months in property. I mean, I, I know that the resilient group had made up 40% of our index, but we've seen 15 to 20% uh, drop in property values. So the question the, 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 the caller is asking is, we've now had a pickup in yield, but you know, we always worry why dividends are too high. Is it because earnings are going to fall and that's historic dividends? Are we starting to see that in property funds or are we likely to hold that 75 to 8.5% yield? And some are even giving more than 8%. Yeah, some are at 15, 16, 17%. Look, I think you've explained why yields have risen um, accurately. And as an asset class, I think listed property is one of the most attractive asset classes for South African investors at this point. But what you need to look at is the quality of those distributions. Why is the distribution of that company growing? Is it because of, there's a genuine escalation in the rental rates that those properties are earning? Or is it uh, funded by capital raises and increased balance sheet leverage, the latter of which is not that great? So I think there are certainly some very attractive opportunities in the listed property space. But as an analyst, you need to do your work. And I think over the next 12 to 24 months, stock picking in that space will be lucrative, but stock picking will be important, not index investing. You know, I always say to investors, if you own a fixed property, you don't value it on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. You ask the questions, am I collecting my rent? Are my expenses going up? And are my tenants secure? So, but when it comes to listed property, it's exactly the same, except you can value it daily. So exactly. people have a different mindset when you're in a property fund versus fixed property, and they shouldn't. So it doesn't really matter if you do have falls in the market of prices as long, because, I mean, the, the property funds do, hold, do uh, hold the quality properties in South Africa. Well, of course they do. I mean, the retail shopping centers, the commercial business, the warehouse, industrial property are held by the big property funds. Oh, well, exactly. I mean, everyone thinks Santon is owned by the big institutions. Not, it's owned by all the property funds. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, uh, Philip in Waverley says, Europeans and Brits who hold US shares have been showing good currency gains. My currency of reference in value my portfolio is sterling. So should I be selling US stocks and converting currency to sterling in order for me to cap future potential currency losses if the dollar weakens? You know, I think when you're investing for the long term, you don't want to try and play currencies in the short term. I think what's far more important is achieving effective currency and geographic diversification in your portfolio over long term, particularly if you've got a long term investment horizon. 
So if you've got 20 to 30 years left in the market, you want to make sure that at least 50% of your portfolio is offshore. And if you get the, if you get the diversification right, the, re the, the exchange rate will take care of itself. If, if you've sent money offshore today, in 10 years' time, it's going to matter a lot less the rate that you got on, on, on your dollars than the growth that you've achieved in U.S. equity markets. But Henry, currency reference is important. I mean, if someone is, thinks in sterling mm. and they've got a big holding in dollars, they've had some gain in the, in, the, in the UK market, but they've also had currency translation gains from US stocks that have risen and currencies. So maybe you, you do need to think if you are, you know, you are thinking in, in a particular currency, if you think in sterling or you think in dollars, doesn't that have some, in, some influence on what stocks you'll be buying? Look, I think when you're planning your own personal financial affairs, it's important to uh, match the currency of your assets and, and your liabilities from an expense management point of view. But you know, there have been numerous empirical studies that have been done by academics over time, which, is, which have actually proven that provided your portfolio is adequately diversified, the impact of currency translation over time is neutral. Uh, Ferdinand in Durban says, how does the sharp pullback in the medium and long term cost of money in the USA, how is this going to direct further interest rates and the impact on US markets? So, I, I think it's a given that the cost of um, medium term and, and, and long term money has been going up and will continue to go up all over the world, first in the USA, probably next in countries like South Africa and towards the middle to the end of next year in, in, in a region like Europe. And what impact does that have on asset prices? Well, higher interest rates mean higher discount rates, and higher discount rates inevitably put pressure on asset prices. But I, that's just the theory, and I think it's an oversimplification, because higher interest rates are always symptomatic of an economy that's doing well, and equity markets can continue to perform well in an environment like that for a protracted period before the cycle turns and, economy, uh, and equity markets take pressure. No, because everyone is saying with interest rates going up, it's the end of the market. But as you say, with interest rates going up, it's an indication of a growing economy. That's right. But do you think the, the American dollar is going to continue to strengthen? I think at the moment, um, given the fears around a potential trade war, um, and given the fact that there's such a divergence between the pace at which American monetary policy is normalizing and European uh, monetary policy is normalizing, a little, uh, some more dollar strength isn't, uh, isn't unlikely. Um, but at some point it needs to stop, uh, and over the long term, so five to ten years, I would expect some dollar weakness to come through. Yeah. I must say, i just come back from the USA, yeah. and there's only two things on the, all the TV channels, only two things. One is about the separation of those who are coming in illegally into the US, the separation between them and their children, and the other is the trade wars. Nothing else matters in the USA. Well, we're going to take a short break. You can still call us on 011-483-1518. I just wonder if our lines are working this evening. I'm sure my, our studio will check up on that. But stay tuned. We'll be back shortly. Welcome back, and if you just joined the program, we are focusing this evening on the investment world. My guest, Henry Middlecombe. Our lines will remain open at 011-483-1518, and I'll also continue to answer emails that have come in, and our next email is from Ian in Santon. He says, surely whatever Trump is doing that is good for America, but ultimately bad for other economies going to cause a global recession. Because when Trump came in, he said one of the things is, 
I'm all about America. This is about making America great again. And can you do that in isolation? You build the American economy, you bring these trade wars in, it's going to have an impact on Japan and other parts of the world, China, and ultimately this has got to come back and shoot uh, the USA in the foot. So here's what I think. Present-day economists almost universally agree that protectionist policies, so tariffs, are counterproductive and are net negative for global economic growth. But I think what Trump's doing here is he's employing strong-arm tactics to try and negotiate a better stance for America with its major trading partners, and in particular, China. Because, Brian, you'll agree with me that over time, it would be difficult to argue that the West has enjoyed the same freedom of access to the Chinese economy that the Chinese economy has had to the, West, the Western economy. Um, so to the extent that uh, these strong-arm tactics result in a more open Chinese economy, I think long-term it's probably a net positive not only for U.S. economic growth but global economic growth as well. But Henry, aren't we going to see a slip-off? Aren't we going to see lower growth coming out of China? And doesn't that have a negative impact on markets? Or we passed that because, I mean, two years ago, all we were talking about is quarterly returns in the, in the GDP in China. And we saw it dropping from 8 to 7.5 to 6.7. And that had, every time it came out, that had an impact on the market. That seems to have slipped to the side and is now you know, on the back burner. It does, but I think you're at risk of focusing on the short term at, at the expense of um, the, the long term picture. Um, so I think what Trump's really trying to achieve, as I said, is, is freer access. Uh, to the Chinese economy, and actually I think that would be positive for global economic growth. Henry, it's interesting you say short, c concentrating on the short term for the long term, but that's what investors do. They go into property, as we mentioned, five, ten-year time horizons. They go into the stock market, five or ten-year time horizons, and yet reports come out m monthly and quarterly. We keep giving investors information in the short term which does throw them off their stride, and yet we talk about the importance of long term. So, so how can we address this? Not give, not to, tell investors not to look so regularly at their portfolios. Understand regularly is there a change in your investment style or your lifestyle or anything that's happening, but not be so concentrated every month looking at what is my bottom line? Am I up or down? Mm. I think it's such an important point that you raise. And I think um, the first step for a retail investor is actually to employ a good financial advisor because what you do is you depersonalize that decision-making process. And once you do that, you empower your financial advisor to interpret that information neutrally, coldly, and logically. The next thing you need to do is pull out. Don't turn on Bloomberg every day. Don't read the headlines today, between today and tomorrow because the strategy that you put in place today is the strategy that you need to stick to over the next 10 years to be successful. So the important part is getting that strategy right now and then maintaining that strategy over the next 10 years, despite what you read in the newspaper and despite what you see on the TV screen. It's hard with it's all hard. that negative news. Very hard to see. You know, every day we're getting, you turn on the radio, every hour you get the news on TV. It's, it's very hard to do that. Basil and Ransbury says, would the S&P companies still show good growth without the tax cuts? I actually really love this question um, because it's interesting. So year to date, we've seen U.S. corporates grow their earnings by about 20%. And we can break that down. So of that 20%, about 6% was driven by U.S. tax reform. Another 6% was driven by a slightly weaker dollar. And the other 10% was good old-fashioned organic growth coming out of these businesses. So to answer your viewer's question, yes, U.S. corporates have been growing earnings nicely. 
And if I look at consensus expectations going into next year on Bloomberg, it looks like the market's looking for 7 to 8% um, in organic earnings growth, even with tax reform in the base. So the, the, the performance year to date has been good and the outlook looks good. But is that 7 or 8% enough to satisfy analysts? Because, you know, irrespective of what we in boardrooms do in terms of achievement, and we achieve, if we don't achieve what analysts assume we're going to achieve, it has a knock-on effect on the markets. Mm. So... I think the best answer to that question that I can give is that to the extent that interest rates rise a little bit more quickly than the market's expecting right now, you might see some pressure come into the equity markets. But to the extent that interest rates go up at the rate that we expect them to, I think that the market can still grow at between 5 and 10% per annum over, over the next two to three years in the U.S. Because growth is a, is a function of inflation. I mean, here we talk about inflation at the 5, 5.5% level. If you can get 10, 10, 11, you're doing very well 5 above inflation. There in the USA and other parts of the world, inflation at 2%. If you're getting your 7, you're doing just as well. As a matter of fact, if you get 7 continuously in global markets, investors would be thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. Phyllis in Durban says, I'm 38 years old and have some funds offshore. Is this a good time to increase my exposure? And would it make sense to sell my local short portfolio and move these funds offshore? I'm looking for long-term growth and not concerned about dividend Just price, you're really pushing me for answers on this currency, eh? I don't like playing the currency game. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm just reading no. the emails that have come in. No, but I can give you an answer. So I think in the short term, the RAND probably is a little bit oversold. Um, if you talk to anyone in the currency game, they'll tell you that they think the fair value of the RAND is between 12 RAND 50 and 13 RAND, and I would agree with that. So perhaps don't rush offshore. But the right answer when taking money offshore is always to adopt a phased approach because that protects you both ways. So I think... I'll repeat what I said earlier. The important thing is to achieve effective geographic diversification. Now, that will serve you well over the long term. The exchange rate that you get on your rands today is going to be far less important in 10 years from now. Phyllis also said, I've got money overseas sitting in cash. Is this a good time to be entering the market? I mean, we are into the 11th year of the bull market. I mean, we are. So that's a good question. And I wouldn't be rushing into, into equity markets at this stage. So I would have a look at what um, my strategic equities uh, component of my planned portfolio would be. And for someone who's 38 years old and has a reasonable portfolio, I would say 65 to 70% in equities would be appropriate. I wouldn't go over that. I would take it to the 65 um, to 70% level and I'd leave it there. And I mean, if you're in the market, don't start selling. Yes. I mean, yes. Just, just understand your balance and rebalancing to make sure you're not overweight to equities. And exactly right. So this would, wouldn't be the right time to go aggressively overweight equities offshore. Yeah. Lauren Cape Town says, usually there's a correlation between the global and the South African market. Both tend to rise and fall in tandem, yet our market has nothing, not, done nothing for a few years. Most of our sh- shares are RAND head stocks, and yet with the RAND weakening, the shares have hardly moved. Please explain this anomaly. Yeah, so I think what your viewer is experiencing is the fact that South Africa has missed on a big part of a global economic um, upcycle. And I think that's due to some country-specific factors. Uh, I think your South African-oriented stocks haven't performed well because you've had um, fiscal policy uh, mismanagement at a government level. You've also had a government which isn't, hasn't been particularly uh, business-friendly. It hasn't encouraged foreign portfolio investment and foreign direct investment. Um, and like I said before, when you look at the Rand Hedge stocks, um, there are a certain type of Rand Hedge. You know, uh, the big consumer staples like BTI and, and Anheuser-Busch have fallen out of favor in the markets. Markets are pro-growth. They're not pro-defensive. Um, so it's unsurprising to see the underperformance there. Last email of the evening, it's Carolyn Benoni. She says, emerging markets have had a torrid time. What is our view whether these markets are set for a rebound or worse to come in the short term? 
You said they're trading at a 32% discount to the S&P. They've sold off hard. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're cheap. I think they're fairly valued. But in the context of a South African equity market, I think we're starting to identify opportunities. Now, a year ago, it would have been very difficult for me to put a 10-share portfolio together for you and to tell you, look, in three years, uh, over the next three years, I think this portfolio is going to do well. It's a different story today. I can put that 10-share portfolio together for you today, and I think that's positive. So you can find value. Yes. Yeah, which was a difficulty. But although, whatever, I'm just always saying this to investors, whatever you're doing today, if it's down tomorrow, don't worry, because you can't always find, now there's no bell that says this is the top or the bottom. No. You just got to buy quality with good earnings, good cash flows, and understand the industry you're investing in. That's right. Well, my advice is, as always, when there's volatility and market weakness, is not to panic and make emotional investment decisions. It's not unusual for markets to have periods like this. It's happened many times over the last 50 years. Investors who panic and sell always talk about their losses they've made by investing in growth assets and mainly equities. The shrewd investor who stays with the investments through these times will attest to the superb long-term performance of their portfolios. The best solution to deal with the psychology of falling investments is not to keep watching the values of such investments. I know it's difficult, but it's these actions that cause investors to make the wrong decision. The only thing you need to do is make sure your investment strategy for the long term is suitable for your requirements. Henry, I'd like to thank you for joining me this evening. Always a pleasure. It's important to note our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will be once again dealing with the financial planning, and if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.